issues. One man searches for intelligent conversation. From Dedham, Massachusetts, the birthplace of modern democracy, this is You Don't Have to Yell with your host, Dan Sally. 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 Welcome to YDHTY, the home for the politically homeless and the podcast for those of you who like your politics in colors other than red and blue. If you are new here, welcome. And if you like what you hear today, please share this podcast with one friend you think might like it too. Now, before we get into the meat of this episode, I wanted to let you know I'm starting a weekly newsletter to go over some of what we're discussing week over week and provide some bonus material related to what we're covering. Because I've realized a lot of what we're diving into now is getting a little bit dense. And the newsletter's goal is to provide some additional context to help you better understand the issues, but also frame some of the latest news stories through the principles we've learned about over the last few months. So you can sign up at ydhty.com slash news. Now, if you've been keeping up with this podcast, we've been digging into how access to some of the basic building blocks of the economy, namely food and energy, are contributing to political polarization at home and conflict abroad. And it's a thread we're going to continue to explore this month, but we're going to take a slight detour for this episode in light of some recent events. And last week's school shooting in Evaldi, Texas, has left many of us deeply disturbed and frustrated as the dialogue appears to be breaking down along familiar partisan talking points. And if you've listened to this podcast for a while, You'll know my knowledge of the gun culture is limited, so I invited Eddie Campa, who you might remember from an episode we did back in June of last year, to discuss. Eddie is the former chief deputy of the El Paso County Sheriff's Department, uh, a jurisdiction with over one million people, and the former chief of police of Marshall, Texas, a city with about 25,000 people. He is also a lifelong Texan and a dad, so in short, there's no one better to talk about gun culture, school safety, and small or big town policing than this guy. I wanted to get Eddie's perspective on what he saw in last week's shooting, and I will confess I was somewhat surprised by his perspective. I will leave you with that little piece of clickbait and be back at the end with my final thoughts. I'm really glad you you were free to speak because, you know, I, I think I had mentioned in in my email, um, you know, a lot of us, I think nationwide after the shooting in Uvalde, Texas, are scared. We're trying to figure out what happened. We're trying to figure out how to prevent it. I mean, just today, in preparation for this, I just started reading more on the victims, reading more on the shooter. I mean, my my youngest is the age of the kids, some of the kids who, who died in that attack. So um, it's a very frightening thing. And I think what's unfortunate is in part of this conversation and part of this grief, we see people breaking down along predictable battle lines, political battle lines. And what I'm concerned about is that we're ignoring the bigger picture. We're ignoring potential solutions. And I think more importantly, we're letting our own beliefs override the grieving of this community or override the need to support this community in this time. And so, you know, you're a former law enforcement officer. 
you are a dad, and I think as important to this conversation as well, is you're a Texan. And so I'm hoping you can give us some perspective on things that'll help us get, have a more informed opinion about what happened, how it happened, and how we can prevent it. So you know, to start things off, I don't know if you've ever been to Uvalde, but I know you were chief of police for a fairly small Texas community that's similar. So maybe to help to bring the listener up to speed, can you talk about like, what are these communities like? There's a real big difference between uh, small communities and large communities, rural and urban communities. A lot of people really do believe that policing is the same. One of the things that's really interesting about smaller communities is that you're you're dealing with a lack of resources. Um, when I say resources, I mean everything. Uh, lack of training is one of the biggest things uh, when you're dealing with smaller agencies. You know, Uvalde is not a very rich community. It's a very small community. You know, it's got about 16,000 people. Uh, the, the, the community I was the chief of had 24,000 people. Uh, and we lacked a lot of resources. You know, and our sheriff's office lacked a lot of resources. You know, we were always trained on this active shooter. But one of the things we take for granted when you, you know, I, I know I did when I left the sheriff's office and went down to that smaller community is, is you leave out the, the, you think everybody is as well prepared as you are. You know, uh, we have bigger issues, bigger problems. We are deal- we're used to dealing with bigger scenes, bigger situations that happen all the time as to where these smaller communities are not. Now, that's not any excuse for what happened because I, I, I'm still trying to wrap my head as to what the heck went wrong because active shooter situation 101, first officer on the scene, his job is to dispatch and, and eliminate the threat, period. So when you had that many officers on the scene holding... Um, for over 70 to 60 minutes, I'm just, I'm sitting here going like, what, what happened? <laughs> yeah. That, that was one of my big questions for you because I noticed people were very quick to criticize the response of the police department. And it sounds to me like from your perspective, something really went wrong procedurally there. Oh, there's different reports. I mean, we weren't there. All we're doing now is second guessing. However, when you have 19 officers on the scene, which was the original number that was given when the first call came out, and within an hour you had over 100 officers on the scene, and not one of them said, hey, this is wrong, and, 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 and went against, technically it's not going against, but you're going against your superior commander's orders and just went in, which is actually what the federal BORTAC unit did when they arrived on scene. They're like, why are we holding? And they just, you know, that's when they went in. Uh, so kudos to them for for you know for doing their job and things like that. But I, I mean, the law enforcement community, not only in the state of Texas but around the country, should should be appalled, should be angry, uh, frustrated because this should have never happened. I mean, it, it was a total complete failure. Yeah. Well, the the other thing that comes up as well, and something that you, a question you you kind of answered in your first statement, which is. You know, one of the things we hear about when we talk about mass shooters is they tend to be isolated. They tend to be cut off from society. And one of the things I think a lot of us think about these small communities is they're very tightly knit. And a lot of that, there's a lot of uh, social cohesion, I guess you'll say. You know, everybody knows each other. And, and so I just wonder also how this kid slipped through the cracks, how the shooter slipped through the cracks. And it sounds to me like this is really an issue of the fact that these small communities just don't have resources. Yeah, I mean, you know, this, uh, the individual from what we know so far, 
um, has had a troubled youth. Uh, you know, he, he was bullied, you know, he was bullied a lot. He was made fun of a lot. Uh, people knew he liked to hurt animals. People knew he had an obsession with guns. Um, you know, he was a, a cutter. There was a lot of red flags there that were, that he was signaling that he needed help. However, you know, especially in the Hispanic culture, um, you know, we, we kind of tend to say, eh, he's, he's just a kid, he's just growing up. Or you have that machismo level where, you you know, people won't admit that their child is in, in some kind of need because, no, not my child, you know. And unfortunately, uh, I think that, like you said it, I mean, had they had some better resources, maybe an extra counselor at the school, um, you know, s- some kind of after school activities or anything to that matter, um, that could have helped, you know, somebody should have rang that red flag. And that's why it goes back to that old saying. I mean, it's more mostly related to terrorism. But when you hear that saying, you see something, you say something. And this was, again, a failure where people were seeing this. They knew about it and nobody said anything. You know, nobody said we need to reach out. You know, that's the other bad thing is that our hands as law enforcement are tied is that, you know, we can't be everywhere and we don't know everything that's going on unless somebody tells us. You know, this is why having to deal with mental health issues is a very important thing. People say, well, deal with mental health issues, throw more money at it. Well, you can throw all the money in the world at it. However, if we're not aware that this person has a mental health issue, that person's still going to slip through the cracks. <laughs> Ultimately, it's just a lack of, of, of resources. It's a lack of knowledge. It's a lack of being proactive. Um, I mean, what, what do you do? You know, today, uh, Trudeau over in Canada announced that, uh, you know, he's going to ban handguns for the entire country of Canada for something that happened in the United States. Yeah. I mean, everybody's being proactive except the United States. I'm, I'm in Massachusetts, so there's not a strong gun culture in the Northeast. You know, there's some, but not to the degree it is in Texas. And so the big question that folks from places like me always ask is, how did this kid get the gun? And should that be happening? Like, do you, is there something we're missing or is that a question we should be asking as well? It depends. You know, here in Texas, we have a big gun culture. You know, we have a lot of ranches. We do a lot of hunting. Uh, There's a big, you know, everybody goes back to remember the Alamo and we had to defend our our sovereignty and yada, 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 and all of this crazy stuff. However, you know, what, what do we do? Do we, do we, I mean, we have this, we have the second amendment, which, you know, I'm a supporter of to a certain extent. So, you know, I don't think our founding fathers had in mind that, you know, at some day we would be able to own an AR-15 that could shoot up a hundred rounds, you know, in 20 seconds. Cause back then they had to put gunpowder and pound it in and get one shot off every two minutes, you know? Uh, yeah, so, yeah. you know, the thing is everybody wants to like, what is the solution? You have, you know, strong gun supporters and those that are not, that say, well, stricter gun laws aren't going to aren't going to make a difference. Well, in this case, it probably would have, because here's an 18 year old kid on the date of his 18th birthday goes out and buys two high powered rifles, uh, buys over a thousand rounds of ammo. At that time, the person selling them you know, should also be held re- uh, accountable because it's like, well, wait a minute, you're 18 years old, you're buying two assault rifles and a thousand rounds of ammo. Where the hell did you get the money? What do you need two assault rifles for? And why do you need a thousand rounds? It should have been a stop. You know, and this is what we're talking about where, you know, um, the background checks, you know, which granted, there were, nothing would have appeared. He's 18 years old, never been, never been a criminal, never been instituted in a mental health hospital. So he would have passed that. But then you, you, you have what we call red flag law. You know, we, we could have issued a red flag law to where 
the seller of the gun says, hey, this is a red flag. Let me pause this sale. Let me call the authorities and let's figure this out. So that could have, not necessarily saying that it would have prevented it, but at least it would have extended it. It would have put this kid on the radar and maybe we wouldn't be sitting here that day. However, you have uh, the majority of the gun enthusiasts who will never go for that because they ultimately believe that everybody needs to have a gun. More guns, the safer you are. Well, I think that theory is not working very well, you know? Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, and you were also, you know, you were deputy sheriff of a large county. So I think this El Paso County has like over a million people. Did you see, what were the effects of Texas's gun laws just in general law enforcement? So outside of school shooting. You know, I remember when when Texas first passed its concealed handgun license. You know, we as law enforcement were like, great, another thing we have to worry about now because we don't know if you're going to be armed or if you're not. Or, you know, the thing with, with weapons, and you know, everybody says, well, the guns don't kill. Well, no, you're right. It's the tool that's used by a person to kill. I mean, same thing with a car. A car doesn't kill. You know, it's the person behind the wheel that kills, right? But you have one bad day and everything goes south on you. You know what I mean? Um, you approach the vehicle. The guy just got into a fight with his wife. He just got fired from his job. Uh, and, I, and I'm using this example only because it's happened. Uh, his girlfriend left him because he, the wife found out about the girlfriend. And now he's having a bad day. And other than that, he's a per, pretty calm individual. But now you stop him and you're approaching him and he's just had enough. And he gets off and starts shooting at you. And you're like, what the hell? You know, so... There's, in my opinion, I really do feel that there's way too many guns out there, you know, and everybody says, well, he bought them legally. Okay, well, so did this 18-year-old kid. He bought the gun legally. He went through the whole process the, the legal way. But why couldn't we have paused it? Why couldn't we have a cooling off law, you know, a cooling off session like, hey, you know what? Is this an impulse buy because you're mad? Let's give it 14 days. Yeah. Come pick up your rifle in 14 days. And at that time, he may come back and say, yeah, you know what? I don't even want this anymore. Or like, eh. But the gun culture in Texas, I mean, it, it's it, it's not just in Texas. It's all over the it's all over the, the states, really. Everybody feels that you know the government's out to get them. That if we take our guns away, that the government's going to issue some kind of uh, military martial law against us, and we're not going to be able to defend ourselves. Well, come on. I mean, when did that happen? And you know, aren't we the greatest country in the world? So why would that happen? However many AR-15s you have stocked in the house, I don't think that's stopping stopping the, the the U.S. government if they really want to act. But do you think too? Like you, you mentioned something earlier about how when the concealed carry law came out, you and 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 other folks in law enforcement, like this is another thing we have to worry about. Do you feel like in a lot of cases these loose gun laws or this approach, this kind of all or nothing approach, like I can buy a gun as easily as I can? buy a six pack or my rights are being violated. Does that pose a problem you think for law enforcement nationwide? We go back to the argument where people say, well, the guns were bought lawfully and somebody broke into my house and stole it. Well, there, that's that's probably the problem. That's the snowball effect. You know, we, we make it too easy for people to buy guns. Law abiding citizens can have all these guns. And then the bad guy finds out you have guns. Well, then they break into your house to steal the guns. But then that totally defeated the purpose because you bought the guns to defend your house. But how did somebody break into your house to steal your guns to begin with? So that argument is flawed. You know, and everybody says, you know, I had this huge argument with 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 a relative the other day. And he's like, as you remember, August 23rd, uh, three years ago, you know, we had a mass shooting here in El Paso at the Walmart. Mm-hmm. Uh, over 23 people were shot and killed. 
and we had this debate about the the guns and he says well you got to remember my 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 mom was in that it was in that store shopping when this happened and bye I've got my gun and if I was there I would have defended there's the key word if you were there you weren't there you didn't defend and you're going to tell me that of all the people that have guns in this world uh carry them lawfully to defend others you're going to tell me there was not one friendly gun in that Walmart that entire day so that argument is flawed is that you know we we need loose gun laws because if we have loose gun laws and we're able to protect ourselves these things don't occur Okay, so why is it that there's never a friendly gun when you need it in a situation like this? You know, so that argument is flawed. And and with all these loose guns, everybody's able to purchase them. You know, there's no there's no weight requirement. There's no red flag requirement as long as you're 21. You know, I, I own a security company now. So I went to, you know, my local gun store the other day and I purchased three guns for my, for my security officers. Uh, took me a whole hour, hour and a half. To purchase my guns, three you know forty caliber Glocks, walked out the door with them. I mean, an hour to give me three guns that can, I mean, it just doesn't make sense, you know. And and yeah. I'm like, so it makes our job harder. Yes, and, and like twofold. Yes, you may buy them legally, but then somebody goes in and steals them. Or you know, we have a thing called private sale here in in, in Texas. Did you know that? Me, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 50 years old, but if an 18-year-old kid came to me and said, hey, you know, I'd like to buy your handgun. Well, instead of federal law says you have to be 21 to buy a handgun unless it's a private sale. Well, then I can sell that 18-year-old my handgun. Totally contradicting federal law. So I, I dug into the gun issue. It was one of the first issues I dug into when I started this podcast. And one of the things I realized is we focus a lot on mass shootings, which obviously makes sense. It's horrific. It's random. The flip side of it is, though, is in doing a little research, what I found is that when we look at the majority of homicides out there, they're committed with handguns, and they're typically committed with handguns that have somehow found their way into the hands of of criminals. So that's either through private sales or through theft and and so on is that correct like is that is that really where maybe the bigger problem lies when we talk about how to reduce gun violence well you know we that's that's one of the main issues i mean because we're trying to keep guns away from the bad guys right but they're always saying doesn't matter how many laws and things you put into place they're always going to find a way to get the gun which yeah comes through theft or a private sale because i don't have to run a background check on a private sale i and for all I know, I, you could be the world's biggest serial mass murderer, and here I, I just sold you a gun. Yeah, I don't know. So even I think the thing is we have way too many guns. we got to find a way to reduce that, you know, and, and make it harder to possess that firearm and only allow reasonable, responsible people who know how to secure the weapon, keep it, you know, from preventing it from being stolen or things like that. But that theory goes right. You know, a, a bad guy is always going to find the means to find a weapon. We, we border Ciudad Juarez, Mexico. We have a, a large drug cartel issue here. We could put any law we want. I can guarantee you the bad guy is still going to find a way to get a gun, whether it's across the border or whatever. So this is a very tough situation that, that we've been put in because I think we have an overabundance of guns out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's like, okay, so how do we start shrinking that? 
uh, number of guns that are out there. And I, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. I mean, you're in Texas, so there's a, there's a really strong gun culture there. Are there any terms you think that people would accept for curbing on their... I mean, there's a... So, you know, and that's the other thing. It, we, we live in a country right now that has become so politicized. It's, it's the Republicans versus the Democrats and the Democrats versus the Republicans and who cares about the issues. You know, um, if, if you actually listen, and I'm just going to pick on Ted Cruz because honestly, I just don't like Ted Cruz. Um, okay. I, I'm, gonna, I'm, 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 I'm purple. I'm in the middle. I vote for whoever I feel is going to make the right decision. Um, you know, uh, I, I joke around and say that, you know, this is going to be the, the, the first time that I'm going to have the hardest time ever voting in the governor's race because I don't know who the heck I'm going to vote for. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, Ted Cruz, when they interviewed him, uh, they were asking him questions. And the first thing out of his mouth is, well, the Democrats, well, the Democrats. And I'm like, bro, that wasn't the question. The question was, how are we going to solve this problem? Well, the Democrats. Uh, okay. So the Democrats, I mean, we're, we're going around picking up a Democrat and shooting people with the Democrats. So that's the problem here. And then you, you know, and then you talk to the Democrats and then the Democrats are like, well, the Republicans will not approve this. And it's like, we live in a world where, unfortunately, we have a lot of sheep that just follow, you know, they follow blue or they follow red. And if red says no and blue says yes, and, and that's the way they vote on things. So we're never going to come to an agreement just because we can't come to common ground. Well, and that's what's that's what's really frustrated me the most about the way this issue has been approached. And I'll I'll I'll, I'll pick on both sides here. But I do feel that this issue is a big fundraising issue for both parties. I think Democrats get a lot of money when, or Democratic candidates who make a big deal of the gun issue get a lot of money when these shootings occur. Um, the, the flip side, and I'll, I'll add, you know, you can validate this comment for me, but when you look at the bulk of people dying due to gun violence, they're not in schools or movie theaters or supermarkets, these places where these horrific mass shootings occur. This is a daily occurrence in the streets of America. And it's generally the result of handguns, not the AR-15. But I feel like if there was a genuine interest in curbing gun violence, I would imagine this would be a 365-day-a-year debate and not a whenever something horrible happens. Yeah, you know, and, and that's the frustrating part. Like you said, you know, I'm, I'm tired of hearing politicians offer, you know, what is it, uh, uh, prayers and and condolences to everybody. It's like, well, how about you issue some kind of law that says this won't happen again? You know, uh, I'm just very impressed with, you know, Trudeau over in Canada who, whether some people may think it's an overreaction or not, he said, we're banning guns because I said so. <laughs> that's pretty much it, you know, and that's that. And he's responding to an issue that happens in the United States, not in Canada. And what was, I mean, I'm sure Canada has a few, but it never doesn't. Handguns, guns in general, you know, unfortunately, the AR-15 is always connected to the mass shooting most of the majority of the time, you know, because it, it's a high capacity weapon that carries a lot of rounds. It allows you to eliminate as many targets as possible in a very quick situation. Uh, you know, the shooter here at, at, at our Walmart used an AR, used uh, a nine millimeter handgun. You know, the other day I, I got into a conversation with somebody saying, well, who deemed the AR-15 an assault rifle? And I'm like, well, OK, let's let's have that debate. 
when you describe an AR-15, what's it used for? Well, it's used for combat to eliminate them. So it's an assault rifle. Well, no, you're not assaulting yeah. anybody. Yeah. You're eliminating a threat. And you can't win with these people. You know, you just mm -hmm. can't. Mm -hmm. So, again, we need to really find a way to reduce the amount of guns that are out in the marketplace. Yeah. I have no idea, but I have to pretend, to pretend that I know how to do that. Like I said, we need stricter gun laws that make it harder for a person to purchase a gun. I'm not saying you can't have one. I'm saying let's just make it harder. You know, today something happens, I get upset. You know, um, I think it was Cain Velasquez who, you know, they, they raped his niece. He went out, got a gun, and went out and killed the rapist. You know, it's sudden passion. You know, how about you? And he bought it legally, too. You know, so it's like, how, how about you give people a cooling off period? You know, you can buy the gun. We do your background. We do the red flags. Hell, maybe even send you to a psychological evaluation. I don't know. Um, but yeah. give you that cooling off period of, you know, 14 days. You know, if you're really if you're really buying the weapon to go hunting, well, in 14 days, you're still going to have that desire to go hunting, right? Hopefully in 14 days, you won't have the desire to go kill a person. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing I think, too, and this this goes for Massachusetts, which has some pretty strict gun laws. I mean, probably the some of the strictest in the nation. But you can still get a license and purchase a firearm having never fired a gun. So there's a course you have to take, but there's no formal training. So when you were in law enforcement, what kind of training did you have to go through? How often did you have to get recertified? Like, what were the things you did to make sure that you could safely operate a firearm? Well, you know, that's also another scary thing. You know, you want to talk about when, when you're talking about training and you're talking about the qualifications for to be a peace officer. You know, everybody thinks that all peace officers are masters and experts with handguns and firearms. Well, the truth be told, coming from one of the largest sheriff's office in the state of Texas, you know, there's people who had never touched a gun, who had gone through the academy. And we get uh, an 80 hour training course on weapons, how to shoot, how to clean it, break it down, the mechanisms, and shoot at day, shoot at night. That's two weeks of training. That's, that's, I mean, that's pretty good. But after that, you know, you go out in the field and you're out and you only have to qualify with your gun once a year. You know, you have to go back to the shooting range and shoot it once a year, 50 rounds, you know, and that's it. Yet here you have, you know, uh, you have a kid who's working at McDonald's, never touched a gun. Uh, at 21, decides he's going to go buy a handgun legally. Never touched it, never held it, doesn't know the first thing about it other than he thinks it's cool. And here you go. Here's your gun. Bye. No training required, no course required, no no course to get you familiar with. I'm not saying they're not available. I'm just saying that he didn't go through it. And when you talk about budgets and law enforcement, the first thing that is, is that we get rid of is training. So Texas TCOL says we have to qualify once a year. So that's all we're going to do exactly one year. You know, the day before the year is over, that's the day you're qualifying, <laughs> you know, just because you don't have the funds. So when you talk about these rural communities, you know, I'm not saying Uvalde had this issue, but I'm just saying that training uh, is always pushed back because it's not as important as having the troops on, on the field in people's minds. Yeah. I hope that answered your question. Oh, it totally did. It totally did. And one thing I'm wondering, like, as you're talking to is, it seems like these loose gun laws cause a lot of problems for law enforcement. Law enforcement on the whole has been pretty quiet on the issue. Is there a reason why, you know, either police unions or, or law enforcement organizations wouldn't push for 
some, again, let's call them moderate measures just to keep guns off the streets. So, yeah, and I'm going to go out on a limb and tell you the exact reason why uh, police chiefs and sheriffs and won't, won't go out. And, and, and I'm not saying that there hasn't been police chiefs and sheriffs that have gone out on a limb. Um, I know my old sheriff uh, here in El Paso County, he went out on a limb. He's an elected official. He serves the will of the people, but most police chiefs are appointed. Um, so you say or do the wrong thing that doesn't go in accordance with your city manager or your mayor. Uh, the next thing you know, you're finding yourself out of a job. So it's one of those situations where you just come and just say, well, you just you become a political and you write the middle of the line. Don't say either or. Um, and until we as police chiefs can muster up enough strength or courage to get up and say, look, <laughs> this is a problem and we need to put an end to it. And the solution is we need to, for lack of better words, program our youth as they're coming up in a different way, because this is all learned behavior. You know, I have I have an acquaintance who is uh, the day his children were born, they already had guns. That was the gift he bought them on day one. It's like, you know, it's going to be about nine years, 10 years before they can actually hold that thing. You know, that's kind of scary. You know, uh, yeah. so it's like we, we live in a culture that has been programmed to accept guns and we look, and we look at them as a necessary evil. And, you know, here's the other thing. This is, this is what scares me as a law enforcement officer and scares a lot of us is think of this. Mr. Smith, 56-year-old man, decides that he needs to buy a gun because there's enough craziness going off in the world. He's going to put it on his hip and he's going to, he's going to go to Walmart today. And when he goes to Walmart... There's either a robbery, a burglary, or a mass shooting. And the first thing he does is pulls out his weapon, not knowing how to use it, and starts shooting out blanketly, causing more damage than he's actually helping. Or, or because we've seen this happen, we've seen uh, robberies taking place where the perpetrator had a toy gun and somebody tries to stop him and now is disarmed and now has an actual weapon. Because the person who pulled out the weapon had no clue on how to use it. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a welder. So if you give me a welding torch and stuff and say, here, it's legal, carry this. Well, I'm probably going to burn myself or I'm probably going to blow something up because I don't know how to use one. Same thing with a gun. Yeah. I remember hearing this story about Brazil when they introduced gun, their gun control laws. And, and Brazil has, I mean, the crime issue, the crime issues in Brazil are leaps and bounds ahead of the United States. But. Um, one of the things they found is when they banned the ownership of handguns, there was still gun crime, but those crimes of passion, so to speak, where somebody has a bad day, they lose their temper, they get in a fight with their wife, whatever, those didn't occur. And so I think to your point, if I'm, if I'm setting out to commit a crime with a gun, I'm probably going to find the gun, I'm probably going to do it. But I think it's those people in the middle who might be delayed where we could, where we could make a difference. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, we've, we've spent, uh, you know, I, I always use it as an example. Tobacco use has not been eradicated. It's still popular, but it's dwindled down by like almost 80%, you know, mm -hmm. um, and it starts with education, you know, and people getting behind it. It's taken a very long time, but it's working. 
So if we can get there and, and, and put stricter rules and regulations and guidelines and more training and education about the dangers of owning the gun, you know, at some point we'll have the same result as we did with the, the stoppage of tobacco. Um, you know, we, we, I always think that's the first time that anybody took a stance because tobacco was, was still is a billion dollar industry. But I mean, they still make the billions because it now costs you almost what, like $20 a pack of cigarettes. I don't know. Um, but that's, we, we do need to do something and somebody needs to speak up. And the question is, this is not a Republican issue. This is not a democratic issue. This is about doing the right thing and protecting the citizens. You know, we're always talking about protecting our citizens, come and take it from me. Like, bro, I don't want your gun. I'm not trying to take your gun. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a gun. I'm just saying, help me educate those that are not educated on weapons and let's keep weapons out of the bad guy's hands. Who will, will come take it from me. Bro, you're not listening to what I just said. I don't want your weapon. I want the weapon from the bad guys. How do we keep them away from them? You know, and like I said, look at this kid, 18 years old, two assault rifles, a thousand rounds purchased legally. So how do you make the argument of, well, he got his guns illegally? No, he didn't. Mm -hmm. He did it all in the right way. The guy who did the massacre here at Walmart, 20 years old, I believe, also bought his weapons the right way. So there's got to be stricter gun control to keep that from happening. I think that's the scariest part. You know, the, the other question I have for you, too, is you're hearing a lot of other ideas like, you know, hardening school infrastructure and uh, and putting more money into mental health. Do you feel like those issues, are we just kind of nibbling around the edges there or do those, do those have an impact? Uh, we have a senator here in Texas who gets up and talks about more money in mental health. We need mental health, mental health, mental health. And last year, when they decided to give all this money to mental health, he voted against it. It's like, well, wait a minute. You said mental health would help fix the gun issues. Da, 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 da. You were all in favor of it. Now we're trying to pass it, and now you vote against it. One of his biggest contributors is the NRA. Um, you know, mental health is, if we could fix mental health, we would eliminate about 80% of our problems. Mm -hmm. The problem mm -hmm. is, I know a lot of people who have mental health issues who will never seek that help because then they, they'll consider themselves weak. So how do you force somebody? I mean, it's, it's just this cycle of, you know, we have so many rights and freedoms in the state, which is a great thing, but you can't force people to, to seek treatment if they don't want treatment. Then yeah. to the, the second part of that question, which was, I'm sorry, what was the second part of that question? You said mental health and the other part was? It was, and then hardening schools. So, yeah. you know, just for instance, here, here's another example. Everybody's saying, well, we should arm teachers. You know how stressful being a teacher is? If you don't, I'm married to one. And when she first started, I, I was, I was, it was scary, you know, because she would come home, you know, and I was like, so could you imagine if she didn't have the support, the support mechanism and everything that we had here at our household? And she would go home, she'd go back to the school and lose it one day with a gun with a gun that the school district gave her. Yeah, that's, that's a smart thing to do. Uh, we don't do psychological testing on teachers. And honestly, you know, the divorce rate, the alcoholism rate, the drug rate, uh, uh, use of teachers is pretty high, you know? Yeah. 
it's high. Teachers are way underpaid, way overworked, put under tremendous stress. So let's add a stressor and give you this gun to protect people. If they were armed, every middle school would instantly become more dangerous. Because I have to tell you, I put three kids through middle school, and that's the worst phase of anybody's life right there. Yes. You know, you want to harden schools? You know, I, I believe in the hardening of schools. You know, we should change schools from honestly being soft targets to being hard targets. You know, part of my security consulting business, that's what we do. You know, unfortunately, you know, it was funny. Our business grew when COVID hit because people were out of the offices. They needed their warehouses and stuff like that secured. Yeah. And now this happened. And now all of a sudden I've got six security assessments for six fairly large school districts around the state of Texas. They want an assessment of their facilities. I mean, it's great business, but I would have rather not had the business because of this, you know? Yeah, I, yeah, so, yeah. Joey, Hardener schools, you know, one of the things that I laugh about is we were at a school district one day, the other day, and this was this was actually prior to the shooting. And they said, yeah, look, this is we've set up this system where you can't go into the building. You have to look at the ring camera. We have to identify you first, and then we'll let you in the building. And I kind of laughed, and I said, okay. I said, but you see your door? Yeah, it's made out of glass. I have an AR-15. I'm going to get in. Mm-hmm. And your camera's going with me. Oh, yeah. What yeah. do you think about that? Should we put a metal door? I said, well, I'm not saying you should put a metal door. Maybe a metal door with a slit, a glass of slit. I mean, I don't know. What do you do? Because, you know, you, you do need sunlight. You need, you don't want to make it look like a prison. I mean, it's bad enough. Our education system is still the same as it was 150 years ago. You know, you, so now we're going to make it look like a prison. So what do you do? You know, what do you do? Uh, put police officers in school districts. Um, look at the shooting in Parkland. They had three school resource officers there. What happened? You know, what is the issue? When there's a will, there's a way. And when that bad guy wants to do it, he's going to do it. I do agree with the hardening of schools. No way in heck would I allow my my child to go to a school where you have armed the teachers. Uh, it ain't going to happen. Yeah. I've got one last question for you, Eddie, which is, first off, you've validated that I'm not crazy. Because a lot of times when these things happen, you know, the first thing I think is, okay, well, I've never owned a gun. I didn't grow up around guns. I live in a state in a region without a lot of guns. Maybe I'm missing something. It, it doesn't sound like I am. But there's also some people listening who may have different opinions on, on the issue of gun control. And I guess what, w- what would you say to them in terms of, you know, I guess if you were trying to make a case to them as to why we should have, what, what controls we should have, why, why we should make it harder. What would you tell them? Well, the first thing I have to do is, is try to get them to agree that we're going to disagree, but agree that we have a problem. Whether it is the gun that's the issue, whether it's the mental health that's an issue, but how about we come together, agree that we're going to disagree, but agree that we have a problem and how do we address that problem to where it's fair for everybody? I mean, we have a problem. We have a problem. We think the United States is number one in mass shootings. 
Why is that the case? Why? You know, we, we have to put an end to it. You know, this is... That what happened in Uvalde is, is you know, it, it broke my heart, you know, and, 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 and the fact that being a law enforcement officer for 27 years, this is something we've trained on day in and day out, something we've talked about, what if and what, what if. It's never going to happen in El Paso. Well, <laughs> it happened. Um, you know, I'm sure Uvalde said it's never going to happen. And uh, the summer before school started, they had a, a, an active shooter training. So it's not like they did not know what to do. Um, so it's like just what, what the hell went wrong? You know, the other day, somebody uh, just yesterday, somebody said, huh. So I see you cops. You cops uh, are really quick to shoot uh, unarmed Hispanic or an unarmed black man. But hell, if that Hispanic or that black man has a gun shooting at you, you guys are scared. huh?" It's like <laughs> so there's another thing that we got to contend with. You know, here we yeah, are, we've yeah. got a black eye, and now you're saying we're scared. And unfortunately, those words were said by a DPS lieutenant when they asked him, why did your officers not go in? And his response was, well, we were afraid one of the officers would get shot. Oh, okay, so then I guess our military, when we send them to war, it's okay if they kind of just sit back and relax because they may get shot. You know what you signed up for, you know? When you decide to put that badge on and carry that gun and take that oath, you know what you signed up for. And unfortunately, it may may mean you don't come home that day. No. But, you know, I, I can say that every man and woman that I ever worked for would have never stood by and just let it happen. Yeah. You know, so something. And I would love I just I want to know what it is when when we get the results, you know, as to yeah. what went wrong because an hour in an active shooter situation i mean that should have never happened yeah well eddie i appreciate you joining me i appreciate you giving me your perspective i know for me you know one of the things i was trying not to do during this because it was so horrific is really jump to conclusions and say the police should have done this the government should do this you've given me a much clearer idea you know, as to where we should go and, and the listener too. So again, I, I really appreciate the time. Yeah, absolutely, Dan. And I hope, I hope I was able to answer the questions as you asked them. It, it's just, you know, it, it's, it's something that's very fluid. I don't understand because every officer in the world, and I really say in the world knows active shooter situation, your job is nothing else but to eliminate that target, to reduce mm -hmm. the number of collateral damage, you know? Yeah. And unfortunately, yeah. when you do that, you become the collateral damage because you're saying, I'm going in there to save everybody and I might not come back. Mm -hmm. But that's what I signed up for. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, it's making me get teary-eyed because that's the oath we all took. Yeah. yeah. And to see what happened there in Uvalde and not be able to understand, I don't give a rat's ass, excuse my friends, what my commanding officer tells me. If he says, stand down, you know what? I'm going to go protect people, and then you can fire me at the end. Yeah. You know, I can guarantee you there'll be another sorry. police department. No, no. I was just going to tell you that if that's why you're firing me, I guarantee you that I'll be unemployed for 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. Because somebody you know, else is going to hire me. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out to you, and typically I don't – I like to let the guests speak, and I don't 
like to add my own editorial, but I have to say something here, which is, you know, you were in law enforcement for 27 years. You were out there, you were in El Paso. So, you know, you weren't playing Candyland. I mean, it's, that's a serious place to be in law enforcement. You were putting your life on the line. Your colleagues were putting your life on the line and you and all of your colleagues took an oath to potentially jump in front of a bullet to protect people. And I think, again, I'm going to put myself on one side of the issue, but I feel like if you're, if you're listening to this and you still don't think anything needs to be done about guns, think about the people like Eddie, think about his colleagues, think about how complicated and dangerous their life is made by the volume of guns we have on this street. We produce, I actually looked this up, in the past 20 years, we have tripled the amount of guns per capita manufactured in America for Americans, tripled. So Americans don't need three times as many guns. Okay, there's some work we can do here. And I'm not, I'm not saying take away all the guns. I'd even venture to say there's some room to, there's some very non-controversial methods you can do, but we really owe it to law enforcement around the country to do something about this. If, if not, if the kids don't shock you, if the school doesn't shock you, you know, we owe it at the very least to law enforcement. And I'll get off my soapbox now, Eddie. I just want to make sure everybody hears that. No, I hear you, man. I'm with you. Something needs to change, and it needs to change fast because this is this is getting this is getting old, man. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did please consider leaving it a review. I appreciate your feedback always. Now, Eddie's book and podcast can be found on his site, jesuseddiecampa.com. That's Eddie, E-D-D-I-E, Campa, C-A-M-P-A. And again, you can sign up for YDHTY's newsletter at ydhty.com slash news. I will have a link to both in the show notes and in the show description. Now, what surprised me most about this conversation, I will be 100% honest, I did not expect Eddie to come out so strongly on the subject of there being too many guns out there, nor did I realize the extent to which legal gun ownership can present problems for police in states with looser regulations like Texas. And his opinion matches up with a policy doc drafted by the International Association of Chiefs of Police back in 2018, which actually recommends a number of gun control measures Eddie talked about. I will include a link to that resource and a supporting article in the show notes and the description. You can either go into your little podcast player and find it or to ydhty.com. Click episodes in the upper right hand corner and you shall find. Now, the fact that the chief of police is a political position keeps many of them from stating this opinion in areas with a high level of public opposition to gun control laws, which sort of creates a damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario for them. Now, you know I try my best to make my biases known while still keeping open to other schools of thought, but this is an issue I'm having a very tough time with, and we have people most affected by gun violence asking for restrictions on gun purchases to keep them safe, 
and those unaffected lobbying against those restrictions for the very same reason. And I'll side with those most affected, but if you've got a compelling reason why I'm wrong, hit me up. You can get me on Twitter at Dan Sally, that's D-A-N-S-A-L-L-Y, or at Hey Dan, that's H-E-Y as in hey, Dan is in my name at ydhty.com. One last note, one of the first topics I ever talked about on YDHTY was gun violence. If you go all the way back to October of 2019, you'll find a few episodes I did that sort of changed my opinion at the time. Uh, Definitely check them out. As always, the music is courtesy of QuellerTac. YDHTY's producer and editorial advisor is the admirable Admiral Adam Yaffe. YDHTY is produced in loving memory of the big Gino, Jason Putney. Until the next, this is Dan Sally. Adios.